James Smith and Caroline Spence made a film in about one week. They're here to tell you all about it. And the other fun thing about this film is how they've been able to use reality to inspire fiction. Of course, when I went to school, and I don't know how it is in the United—well, I'm American, but I don't know how it is in kind of the rest of the world outside the United States— you, if you want to get things knocked out of the way, one month is one semester in the summertime. You can take two whole semesters in the summer of coursework. So that's kind of what I've been familiar with, with these very quick projects and quick means of doing things. I can't imagine making a movie in a week. So that's why I'd like to have these people on today to share how cool it is. My name's James Smith. Uh, I'm the director of Casting Kill, uh, which we shot in London in just six days. So my name is Caroline Spence. I am a screenwriter and producer. Um, and uh, so so I produced Casting Kill. Um, I uh, wrote the screenplay um, according to James's treatment. Um, and I also acted as a audio technician and boom operator on the project. In your film, which issue facing the film industry is most represented? Uh, in the film, we cover a lot of different subjects, um, particularly the kind of um, vulnerability of actors as they go into auditions. Um, so, you know, we had some really good actors that we were working with and um, they kind of uh, expressed that really well. And of course, the lead uh, character, Arthur Capstone, is loosely based on uh, some of the characters in the actual film world who have carried out some pretty nasty uh, deeds. Um, so it was very interesting to, to cover that sort of subject. Um, the film also kind of veers into uh, some of the corruptions and um, uh, sort of the ways in which people are uh, manipulated into believing that they can uh, achieve their Hollywood dream, as it were. So uh, there's a lot of uh, what I call hot air in the industry, you know, people using certain kinds of language to encourage actors and other people to get into the film business, but when they actually get into it, they find out that it's uh, a tricky business indeed and you can't believe everything you hear. There's many issues with the film industry, I guess, um, but in our film, I think we're... We're kind of trying to put across how much BS there is out there. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of hot air and rhetoric just, just spoken by our lead character, our lead antagonist, Arthur Capstone. And he preys on actors who are desperate to win their big, big break and they will put their trust into into people seeming with seeming power um, and they think and, and believe what this guy is saying to them. So... I guess it's uh, it's a case of um, it's an issue with 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 trust in the film industry. It's, it's an issue with trying to see through what people are saying to to find out what's truth and what's lie, uh, because in that in that case, actors are, are very very vulnerable, as indeed are uh, many other people in the film industry. How did you get inside the mind of a fictional psychopath? When directing the film, um, I kind of let the actors get into the mind of the psychopath <laughs> because I had too many technical uh, things on my mind, I guess. Um, so really, once the screenplay was written, um, the we kind of handed over to the actors to do what they do well. Um, prior to that, though, we when we were developing the, the idea and the screenplay, we did a lot of research, read a lot of books, saw TV programs about the, the subject matter, 
Um, a lot of it was kind of crazy to get into that world, really. Um, but you have to, you have to go there. And um, the actual serial killers that we uh, studied were pretty frightening people. And so Arthur Capstone in our film is not any kind of exaggeration, I don't think. <laughs> well, I didn't really want to get inside a mind of anybody like that. Um, so, you know, on our previous film, uh, Surveilled, that was also um, following a serial killer. So I'd already previously done a lot of research into yeah, the, the most heinous serial killers of our time. Um, so it, it was kind of a, a progression from there, spilled over from there into Cast and Kill. Um, well, you know, I watched a lot of films based on real-life serial killers like Zodiac and, and and studied the character traits of these people and um, how we could uh, move that into our, our fictional character who is an amalgamation of many, many serial killers. Is there anything human to a person who does such bad things? Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, human, normal traits in serial killers and terrible, you know, people who carry out heinous deeds and uh, like Arthur Capstone in our film and one of the interesting things about um, these people is that uh, they could live next door and just be you know doing the garden one minute and then off in the evening doing their serial killing the next so these people just have normal traits often and uh, that's the really scary thing about them they can just sort of be under the surface in society and then uh, come out and do these deeds um, you know, and that's the dangerous thing about them, really. Yeah, well, it's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of evil out there, and there's a lot of people who are evil. So they are humans. Um, but as James was saying, they could be your next door neighbour. They could be your a, a friend. They could be somebody you know, uh, but you would never know that they have this macabre uh, trait, this this pastime, if you like, this this horrible this horrible thing that they love to do um it's because they're so very very clever at hiding hiding it uh with our character arthur capstone even he has you know we were, we were careful to make sure that he had very human traits i think he's he at some one point in the film he comes across as quite a sad character even though he's an he's a psychotic narcissist to be honest so um yeah there's there's, there's definitely um humanity in 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 all sorts of evil let's say that the film makes people think about some of these industry topics after watching it how does the movie make people change so actors are working in safer environments i think the um the film will resonate with uh, actors as they as they watch it um very much so because they probably have experienced some of the uh, the things that go on um you know we we play with all sorts of uh, subjects in the film and Arthur Capstone tries all sorts of different ways to manipulate people or just to play with them and then often he um, he also goes into uh, more detail looking for people who he might actually kill so um, you know it's just that if there is a message or something to learn then it is just to be wary of whoever you're meeting with, particularly if you're in a an enclosed environment. You shouldn't really go to, you know, obviously um, dangerous places, whether that be an audition room or a dark alley. I think since the, um, the Weinstein thing, the Me Too movement, um, 
I think it, I'm hoping that environments have become safer for actors. I'm hoping that actors are more aware of, of where they should place themselves. For instance, going into, you know, in, in our scenario in Casting Kill, the actors go into a subterranean studio alone to meet a man alone and they're very, very vulnerable. So I would hope in reality there would always be a woman present, there would there would be um, other people present so that they could monitor the situation, that actors feel safe and comfortable in a in a professional environment, not a hotel room, not, maybe not, as in our case, a subterranean studio. How did you film the production in six days? Of course, that's what I was alluding to at the beginning of this episode. It's very cool. I still don't know how we shot the film in six days. Um, after day one, we were seriously behind schedule and we only started to pick up um, after about day three or four. Uh, it was, we, we shot it in six days because of due to um, limited finance and also we were at the end of coming out of the pandemic and we were trying to reduce the risk of COVID so we wanted to get get it all shot as quickly as possible. Um, but it was a case of we had we had decided to work from a shot list and that was slowing us up considerably for some reason. So in the end, James just threw that that those bits of paper away. Uh, had a production assistant feed him what was happening, uh, what you know, in the schedule, and we we just bashed through the rest of it and um, amazingly clawed back a lot of the scenes we hadn't shot on the first couple of days, and we actually. By some miracle that I still don't understand, we made it in six days and there we are now. We shot the film in six days with great difficulty. I mean, um, the reason we did this was money, really. We tried to uh, say, OK, let's shoot it in a one location, maybe two. There was another two studios. It was just uh, the main studio and then another one just down the road. Um, but it was extremely difficult. Um, we had to get the actors in prepare them, put them in makeup, um, you know, shoot throughout the day and into the night sometimes and then prep for the next day. Uh, but it all came down to money. It was like if we didn't shoot it in six days and get everything we needed, then we were in central London, so the costs would have been astronomical. Um, the secret to it really, though, is that we had a very small team who could multitask, so I was doing the um, cinematography camera operating plus directing uh, Caroline was producing doing some of the sound later on in the shoot and also all of the uh, logistics organizing people so it was um, very very hard work but um, I actually look back on it fondly because there was a buzz as well and people were really they knew the pressure we were under and they knew it was we kind of had one chance to do this. When making films that don't have dream budgets how do you decide in both the writing and on camera work what must go or what must be adjusted to make a film great? So we originally, well, I originally wanted a much bigger budget than we actually got in the end. Um, so we, we crowdfunded for the budget and we didn't we didn't get the full amount that we wanted, but we got a small, you know, enough. Um, so through that, we had to rewrite what we'd already written to make it smaller. And the screenplay went through many iterations Um and we were going to, and so did the um, the locations, which also affects how much money is spent um, on the production. So we took a long time to find our locations. Uh, we were going to shoot in the in the regions um, up in the Midlands of the UK, and in the end, we we 
Ironically, we thought we, we found out that it was going to be cheaper to film in London. So that's what we did. And we, we found our two, two locations, our internal location, our external locations. And we, I rewrote the screenplay yet again to fit those locations so that we could shoot within budget. Um, and that's, that's how we got to where we are now. When we started writing the film, um, the budget was always in mind. Um, a mistake we've made in the past is to have a lot of characters and a lot of locations, and you know you have um, you have your dream film in mind, but you don't have that dream budget. So, with Casting Kill, we uh, every sentence that was written, um, we we were thinking, how is this going to be? filmed how is it going to be delivered are standing sitting have we got to move the camera all that kind of thing and um even little things like moving the camera around or having people positioned in certain ways can affect cost um, and that um, taxi meter is running as soon as you get into the studio so we just watched everything uh, at the screenplay stage and then when we got the location we um basically kind of storyboarded and uh went through all of the scenes to make sure that we weren't going to uh, increase costs by making silly or mistakes or by um, missing something which might up the cost significantly. How did you find your composer, Sean Finnegan? What was it like working with him long distance? Yeah, working with Sean Finnegan as a composer was uh, a pretty amazing experience. Um, he, he's based in New York and has a real in-depth knowledge of just music generally, as well as in particular film score music. And it's great to speak to someone who you just cite a film like um, Casablanca or LA Confidential or something like that. And not only does he know the film and, you know, the characters and all of that kind of thing, but he also knows the intricacies of the, the music scores against those kinds of films. We also had um, a sort of um, agreement that the Hitchcock style you know that kind of feel and music was going to fit with casting kills so we were on the same page from day one and um yeah he's a really a very fine musician indeed and but it's more than just being a fine musician it's being able to communicate effectively on emails over the phone on zoom all that kind of thing because we weren't in the same country when we were writing the score and when he was writing score and when we were developing the ideas so yeah brilliant guy to work with and we're um, very happy to be working with him on our next film which is Best Geezer which is a comedy. Our composer actually found us uh, we, <laughs> whilst we were running our crowdfunding campaign he popped up and supported the project and um, uh, which was really really cool of him and we looked at his, his you know we obviously interested in him because he's a composer even though we get a lot of a lot of people approaching us composers approaching us but something about his music just struck a chord um it just seemed to be totally on our wavelength for what we wanted to do and how we wanted to work um he's based in new york state and um james james kind of took took over the 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 work of of you know getting the composition getting getting across to him what we wanted in the composition, which was essentially um, a Hitchcockian feel. And Sean came up with this amazing score that we're very proud that he's won an award for this now. So um, it's just been a really, really cool and successful collaboration.
Why do you think bad people are so much more interesting in reality and fictional worlds? I think we have uh, some reason. We have a, a macabre interest or a macabre fascination with bad people, with with evil people. You know, we're all fascinated with serial killers, with real life people, and that spills over into our love of horror. Um, we kind of like to be scared. Uh, but we like to be scared um, under our own control. We don't want actually to be scared for real. So we don't really, really want to go and, you know, we don't want to be meeting these people. We want to just observe from afar and um, enjoy watching documentaries about them, enjoy uh, watching feature films about them, so, because there's just this fascination with what what's make, makes them tick. Why do they do the things they do? We just... Uh, normal folk like us, we just don't understand it, and um, you know, it's just it's just one of those things that we we just find works in um, in film and in uh, documentary and even in uh, novels, etc. Well, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Why are bad people more interesting? I think um, you know, it's that that thing where I think we're all a little bit cynical, or we're we're all looking for a little bit of edge, you know, when we're watching a film well not all of us but sometimes we are <laughs> and there's nothing more boring than sort of perfect people um, or supposedly perfect people and so the flaws and the um, problems that people have we kind of gravitate to and I think um, you know indeed the development of anyone of any character any person there are ups and downs in life um, and some of those situations turn people bad I guess and that's and there's a lot of interest in not only them being bad but how they became bad um so there's a lot more facets and intricacies but yeah supposedly perfect ideal people perhaps don't make good film uh, good fodder for films and books how can we watch your film Right, so Casting Kill, we're uh, currently on the festival screening circuit and promoting it, uh, hopefully getting people into the theatre to see it on the big screen. Um, what we're going to do later on in 2023 is put it online to all of the major streaming platforms, we hope, and distribute it as far as we can across the world. Um, yeah, that's quite an exciting stage these days because it's almost like another release. Um, so we're really going to try hard to get it uh, out there as far as we can and into the into the papers and the the news and the press if we can when there's an online release. So that's what we're doing this year. Casting Kill is on the festival circuit at the moment. It's had a screening in a world premiere in the UK. It's had a USA premiere in Park City, Utah. Um, we're going to have another screening in London on the third of March. And so we're, we're looking forward to that. I would dearly love to have it screened again in the USA um, and and internationally, but we'll just have to wait and see on that. After that, though, um, in a couple of months or so, we're going to be um, sticking it up online and putting it on the, all the major streaming platforms. Uh, we don't have a date yet, but um, just make sure you follow us on social media and... Uh, You'll see, it will, we'll be shouting loud when it is available.